This week, Valve fires back at Wolfire Games, Amazon is paying a massive fine, and Scarlett Johansson wants what she's owed. Uh, it's Sunday, August 1st, 2021, and this is episode 600 of F5 Live, Refreshing Technology, a proud part of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. Wherever you are and however you're accessing our show, whether it be on uh, social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Snapchat, through a podcatcher like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, TuneIn, or a myriad of other options, through our live stream platforms, livestream.com, Twitch, YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter, or of course on our website, pluckitslive.com. Thank you for making us a part of your day. There are two ways that you can do that. The first is Sunday night at 9 p.m. Eastern. You can go to f5live.tv slash join us. There you can chat with us in the studio. Give us your, to- your feedback on the topics as we talk about them. Uh, if you're not able to join us live, that's okay. You can always go to plugkitslive.com slash subscribe. There you'll see all of our shows, including F5 Live, The Pilch Point, Plug Hits Live Presents, First Looks, and a whole lot more. And of course, you can find all the ways to watch, listen, and follow along. So, uh, it, it's good to be back. Uh, we, we had another week off last week because we were at uh, MetroCon with the uh, Hado Augmented Reality dodgeball game, which I've got to tell you, this is the first time that we've really gotten to see it in, in like, full action. Uh, and what a ton of fun that thing was, Abram. Oh, you know me in augmented reality. What a great, yep. <laughs> what a great weekend so it was. What is that, so what is that like? So, uh, basically, you've got a headset and an armband. I'm going to go through the pitch that I did six million times last weekend. You've got a headset and an armband. You can charge your weapon, fire your weapon, charge your shields, and put up a shield. You get six uh, points, like uh, skill points, kind of like uh, you know, think that it's an RPG, right? Or you're playing D&D. You get six skill points that you can assign however you want. Um, So you can have more shields, you can shoot faster, you can recharge faster, and uh, you play three on three. Three people on each side of the, the field. Normally it's a little smaller than a volleyball court, but in this case we shrunk it down to almost a square because that's the room we had but it oh so much fun so is there an actual ball nope they are plasma balls that come out of your wrist so how do you see it do you you, do you wear goggles yeah there's a headset and so in the headset you see all around you but then you also see uh all the augmented stuff the shield the plasma balls the scores all that stuff is it a proprietary headset? What kind of headset is it? Believe it or not, it is done entirely with iPhones and iPod touches. You mean like straps? Yep. Up there. Hmm. Yeah, it is. Okay. It is an iPhone in a in a thing, and you're good to go. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Okay. It requires a very sophisticated like network of things to make it all work. But as far as the users are concerned, it's very straightforward and incredibly easy to play. <laughs> I was shocked the other day when I learned that there's something 
legitimately cool that you can do with an iPhone that you absolutely cannot do with any Android device. Okay. And I'm, I legitimately kind of want to borrow someone's iPhone just for this. So apparently recent iPhones from, I think the 11 on have a LIDAR uh, camera for the um, front fit for the front facing camera. And you can download an app, which will scan your head and do a 3d model of your 3d selfie of your of your face and then you can then take that 3d selfie uh from the app and turn it into an stl file and print it on a 3d printer did i happen to see you post about this okay yes we have a story about it that our 3d printing expert andrew sink wrote and so you know when he first sent me the pitched me the story i was like this sounds great and then i he sent me the story said you know there's an iphone app i said there must be an android app too and he said no and i went and i did some research i couldn't find a workable android app that does this and i think it's because uh you know i guess you really benefit from the lidar yeah doing it but interesting the case yeah so so i guess there's you know there's some things you can do with with uh with apple devices <laughs> my my life the last couple of weeks has been like just experimenting with various things like 3d more 3d printing so here's like the coolest thing i have 3d printed i think it's okay. a castle oh um and uh i just got this filament that is multicolor, so it's like it changes as it layers up. So here you okay. can see it's sort of like a silky, like metallic green going to a gold. Yeah. Um, right. That's um, super cool. Depending on how, how tall it is, how tall your model is, it may not actually, it may just be one color. So like here's this dragon that I printed. That's sure. That's just all gold. Now, um, the problem is of course, when I try to print things that have supports in them, which you need, which I think we talked about this, we talked about 3D printing yeah. the other day, it's a real pain because a lot of times when you're trying to remove the supports, parts of the model break off. So I spent like five hours printing my son a Luigi and like, as I'm going to peel the supports off, like the arms just snap right off. Oh, <laughs> oh it's the uh, worst. That seems to happen a lot. Like I would, I think it's fair to say like 65% of the things I printed came out in such a state or quickly broke so fast that, uh, they had to be thrown away. So I wasted a lot of, uh, electricity time and filament, <laughs> but you know, every now and again, you get something cool. So like, you know, my, um, last weekend we went to visit some friends. And I made them a bunch of glasses holders that I had found online where they're like, it looks like a head and you just put your glasses on it. <laughs> um, so that was, that was kind of cool. And I made them a tablet stand and, you know, we made this little Mario trophy. I love that. Um, so, so like, you know, this kind of stuff, uh, you know, we tried to, uh, we tried to do Hotto. Uh, trophies for for the the thing last weekend for the two tournaments that we ran and they didn't come out great. <laughs> so, 
So even when you do it a lot, which uh, Chris and and uh, Terry do, you can still hit problems. Yeah, I mean it's it's for sure a big a big challenge. Um, you know, well, but it's like everything else in tech. If it were easy, if it were easy, it would be no fun. Exactly. So, uh, and then I've spent the last few hours trying to program some keyboard macros, some really fancy keyboard macros and auto hotkey. Um, okay. If you've, got, if you've ever used that, uh, which is a program, like a scripting language where you can do really complicated stuff. And I took my little um, macro keypad that I built recently uh-huh. and uh, have programmed it now so that each of these keys is... Uh, is a function key that is beyond what the keyboard has. So this is F13 and this is F24. Got it. So, uh, which Windows recognizes because if you have a terminal, you have a terminal keyboard, those keys are, will be recognized. So, um, so I've been assigning <laughs> different functions to them uh, just because. And I swapped out my son's uh, my son's laptop keyboard today. His laptop, his ThinkPad keyboard has been, you know, lost like four keys. And so oh no. we got him a new a new keyboard okay. uh, on eBay. And it was uh, quite a challenge to put it to replace it. But I haven't, managed to do it. So. I haven't done one in a very long time. But the one thing that I remember is hating myself. <laughs> Getting it out was just really hard. There's something involving like trying to push it up to get some screws, and fortunately, mm-hmm. it didn't seem to matter if I broke the 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 old keyboard by you know broke broke the top of it off to get to the screws. So I did, and <laughs> there. Oh, really well. tiny ribbon cables that always scare me. Yeah. Yeah, aren't those always scary? Oh, I hate them. Because, you know, it just looks like it's going to, like, if you blow on it wrong, it's going to break, the little plastic piece will break, yep. and then your whole thing is trash. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that, that's been my, uh, that's been my time. <laughs> well, it sounds like we've we've had some interesting experiences over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, well, with that, I guess we should probably get down to some news. What do you think? Yep. This week's Nifty Gifties on F5 Live is proudly powered by the Microsoft Store. Whether you're looking for a new laptop, a, tab- a tablet, desperately trying to find an Xbox, Uh, new games, or a whole lot more. You can get them all at the Microsoft Store. And remember that current students, faculty, parents, and active military can save up to 10% on almost everything. To find out uh, what products are available and the deals that are running, you can go to f5live.tv slash Microsoft. So over the last couple of months, we have talked about what Facebook was considering an apocalypse-level event, which was the release of iOS 14.5 and the uh, uh, Do Not Track 
feature, um, the app tracking transparency. Uh, Facebook and, and Google to a lesser extent, but particularly Facebook ran a pretty meaty PR campaign trying to discredit the concept and um, saying that it was going to be world ending, that it was going to be the thing that ended uh, Facebook as you know it. And, uh-oh, we might have to charge. They tried to pull that thing. Um, well, it's been in effect for about a quarter now. And Facebook uh, released their first uh, quarterly report since it went out and apocalypse averted. In fact, uh, they had a massive quarter, 54% up uh, year over year. So over 2020, their 2021 quarter was significantly higher. Um, so feels a little bit like a, a boy who cried wolf type scenario here which for an organization whose trust level is already how should we say questionable uh it's it's not a great look in this moment what do you think i think you're yeah mad. i mean obviously look facebook nobody nobody trusts facebook also why should we care if that i mean i understand why if i was an investor i would care or i worked there i would care mm -hmm. but uh it's not the job of of apple or everybody else to be protecting facebook's revenue stream true so it's not um i mean you could argue back and forth about some of the industries that you know have received government bailouts over the years and things where people said they're too big to fail or whatever yeah facebook is not too big to fail Okay, no. if Facebook, if Facebook, uh, if Facebook lost some money or even went out of business, uh, which they're not even close to doing because they no. seem to be doing quite well, um, nobody would, nobody would, life would move on. Right. Um, and so, very few would even shed a tear, I think. Yes. I mean, people would stop using it. Yeah, people, Facebook is like a, I wouldn't even say a guilty pleasure since there's not a lot of pleasure. I guess it's a guilty, a guilty use, right? Yeah. I use it all every day and every time I'm like, why did I do this? So, yeah. you know, it's just, so I think if it went, if Facebook went away, people would say, first of all, people would find other ways to communicate. Um, and, and, you know, something would take its place. Sure, it always does. So, uh, so that that's for one. But uh, yeah, anyway, Facebook once again. Uh, I mean, they're never going to get anybody's anybody's pity. Right. Yeah, especially with with you know something like this, right? Where they really thought that this big PR campaign was going to work. To convince people, I mean, there was a there was a period of time where anytime I went and checked on a page that I managed, there was a big banner across the top. Oh, the world's gonna suck for you real soon. <laughs> it's like I, I don't think you understand, because no, it's not. Nothing about anything I do relies on you being able to track me or the people around me. Nothing's gonna change for me. <laughs> And uh, believe me, if 
Facebook started charging people money to use the service again, they would go elsewhere. Yeah, that would be the end of it. So it's it seems not... like they've. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't seem like the kind of of service that has financial value to the users, right? I I can't imagine a scenario in which I would be interested in paying for it, especially you know with one of our favorite topics, and that's uh, that subscription fatigue. I, I yes. cannot imagine yes. in this era of subscription fatigue that now would be yes. the time where it would be a success. Now, I'm not to say that I really like Twitter, but I kind of need to check Twitter, right? For, for I never get anything actually useful to of actual, I mean, I, I end up getting sucked into all kinds of ridiculousness on Facebook, but I never get anything that's actually like useful for my, life or career out of facebook normally. right but twitter you know you there will be people who will post news on twitter and what i mean by news i don't mean posting doing stuff like i do like post our news story right there will be people who will say hey i'm going to tell you about this thing and here's a thread about it on tw here's a on twitter and that is the primary source of the information that's where yeah. it comes from like there's leakers who post leaked pictures and things directly to Twitter. Yep. So, so there's Twitter is actually a primary source of information. Sometimes it's sometimes right. it's the first place that information goes. Facebook, I don't really think so. No, it generally feels like Facebook is the place that information goes to die. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. So you know, not not uh wouldn't be as great of a loss but even even when it comes to something like twitter you know if if something were to happen and you know you remember how much john used to rail against twitter and their you know eh, attitude towards a business model uh if if that were to catch up to them and they were to just disappear you know somebody would be right behind there there are yep. other things that would fill the void. It's no big deal. No, none of these things have a true long-term monopoly. They may have a an in-the-moment monopoly where, you know, you th think of a certain thing and you think YouTube. But, you know, if there was something that went wrong over there and everybody left, you know, Vimeo's right behind. There's there's other other things that could they could take their space pretty quick. So, yeah. Anyway, just an interesting, interesting report on uh, on how Facebook definitely missed the mark here. This week's Pilch Point with Avram Pilch is proudly powered by PureVPN. The best way to protect your privacy online is with PureVPN. You can hide your online activities, say goodbye to regional restrictions, and improve your streaming quality. Plus, it's available for almost all, your, all of your devices, and you can get a special price right now by going to pilchpoint.live slash purevpn. All right, Avram. It's been a little while since we've gotten to do this. 
But I think you've got yep. something to show us. Yes, so it's show and tell. So this right here is the latest notebook that I am reviewing. It is the Lenovo ThinkPad X1 Yoga 6th Gen. That means that there have been five previous generations of X1 Yoga, and this is the sixth. So uh, this is a really fantastic two-in-one. It has a lot, a lot going for it. So let's so let's start with the good stuff. So first of all, this is aluminum here. This is what's called storm gray. The color is, but it's uh. So if you like ThinkPad Black, uh, don't get this one because this is the color comes only color it comes in. Uh, but it's uh. Obviously bends back. The 14-inch screen bends back. A full 180 degrees uh, and you get several screen choices with it you can and it is 16 by 10 resolution so uh, aspect ratio so uh, it's, this is 1920 by 1200 res but you can also get uh, 3840 by yikes not for, it's like 4k but a step above 4k because it's 1610 um, but I wouldn't recommend that because that would probably wreak havoc on the battery life. And the battery life is really good. So um, on our test, this notebook got 14 and a half hours of battery life. Wow. Which is, which is fantastic. Uh, this, is, this configuration has a Core i7 uh, 1185 G7 processor in it. Uh, it's got 512, 512 gigabyte SSD and 16 gigs of RAM. Now, uh, you can buy this with 8 gigs. Uh, don't do it. Uh, you should. Nobody should be buying. <laughs> nobody who's serious about their computer today should be buying anything with less than 16 gigs of RAM. Um, it has a really fantastic ThinkPad keyboard on it. Um, and, of course, my favorite, which not everybody loves, the track point but also a very uh, comfortable touchpad here. Um, interestingly, also, it has a stylus in a stylus garage. So if you see over here, and I'm trying to show is this little nut, this little section here, I've got to look at it to pull it out, but it is a little pen. So the stylus is a little smaller than some of the competitors like the HP Spectre X360, but the advantage is it goes into that little garage, and so you can very easily um, you can very easily use the stylus for writing and drawing. Um, by the way, this is a matte, an anti-glare display that I have here. So um, even though this is touchpad, I mean a touchscreen, it's uh, it's matte. Uh, you can get you can also get this as a privacy guard, which means. Uh, if someone's sitting next to you on the train, you can limit the viewing angles. But uh, today, I would try to stay away from people on the train anyway. Um, but uh, uh, the screen itself, uh, this is the lowest end sc screen option on it. And the color is decent. It's about 71% of DCI-P3 gamut. It, it uh, has good brightness at 350 nits. Uh, so that's that's pretty good. The overall performance for you know an alt, for a lightweight notebook, this is three pounds. Um, 
an ultrabook like this is is good. Uh, obviously, it's not going to play games because there's no integrated graphics, but um, it's a really good productivity machine. Uh, there's also a this on off button here is actually a fingerprint reader, so you could kind of log in and turn on at the same time. Definitely and, a trend uh, that I like. Yeah. Um, some prior ThinkPads had the on-off button on the side, which I really did not like. Oh, and this has good uh, port selection. So here you have uh, a USB-A on this side, and you've got on this side uh, two Thunderbolt 4 ports, another USB-A, and HDMI out. So you don't skimp on the ports. So, you know, I mean... It's not the thinnest that it could be. It's 0.6 inches, which to me is really thin. But you know, there are ones on the there are things on the market that are less than 0.6 inches thick and eschew giving you a USB Type A port, which most USB products still use. So uh, I'd rather have the A port, to be honest. Um, but uh, this starts at $1,300. Uh, I definitely recommend, though, that you spend a little bit more to configure it up with 16 gigs of RAM because you can't upgrade the RAM. It's soldered. Uh, and uh, at least a 500 gig SSD. So uh, that's just a quick look at the X1 Yoga Gen 6. Uh, ThinkPad X1 Yoga Gen 6. Uh, I reviewed that will be going up in the next couple of days on Tom's hardware. Uh, but it's uh, a really, really good business to in one. I'm, I'm putting up that screen. Uh, <laughs> it's a half second behind you. Um, yeah, it, it looks like a really solid, really solid machine. I'm, I'm impressed by the number of ports because one of the things that you know we've been talking about for a little while has been the the constant degradation in the number of ports available yeah, it, as it's just as companies. Yeah, as companies try to be the thinnest on the block, they end up. You know, dumping things it's, that are valuable. It's not. It's not worth it. I mean, granted, at three pounds, this is not the lightest on the block. The if you get the ThinkPad X1 Carbon, uh, which I have, I think may have brought on the show before, mm -hmm. but that is now up to the ninth gen. Is just coming out with I think the ninth gen Carbon, which uh, I haven't tested yet. The last I tested was the eighth gen Carbon. That is lighter. That is two, two and a half pounds. So it's half a pound less than this. Um, and probably for me, I would more consider that one because I don't need the, uh, the bend back screen. I don't need the two in one. However, some people really like this, especially when you combine it with the pen. So, you know, you, yeah. let's say you go in somewhere and you want to, I don't know, take notes or something. Um, you can do it, you know. Um, so you want to draw something, whatever, you can do it. And uh, the fact that this is such a nice anti-reflective display means uh, that it's really easy to, you know, to you, to use like this and you don't end up just looking at a mirror picture of yourself when you're mm -hmm. looking at it close up like this, as you might on a very glossy display. So I, I think it's, uh, if you like the two-in-one style, which a lot of people do, 
this is definitely should be near the top of your of your shopping list. Very cool. I, I like the style, obviously, you know, longtime viewers know that <laughs> the computer that's sitting here next to me. Um, and when I'm when I'm out and about, it's not unusual for me to pop this screen off and use it with the with the stylus. Same with my phone. Uh, so that's that's definitely something that that what, I would appreciate. But I also know use? Uh, it depends on what I'm doing. Stylus, what do you do with it? It depends on what I'm doing. Sometimes I'm taking notes and something like OneNote. Sometimes I'm I'm uh, drawing. Sometimes I'll have Inkscape open. Uh, I I spend a lot of time in Inkscape. In fact, all of the, for the people who are watching the show, everything you're seeing except the actual live video is all from Inkscape. Uh. See, the interesting thing about it is I, I am of kind of a, a split mind, right? I love the idea of scribbling on my, on my computer, mm -hmm. but I have yet to see the app that really let me do what I wanted to do. And I think the main thing I would do with it is I would attempt and be frustrated to use the handwriting keyboard. Like I would open up something that I do take notes in or do write in like Google Docs. And I would just want to be able to, to write in that. And I'd want to be able to do it while I was uh, standing up. Cause I think that is the, that is the use case where you really cannot easily use a laptop. Like, yeah. you know, you, it's not easy to like, you know, Assuming someday we're all going back to CES and waiting in line, you know, I think about the scenario where I'm waiting in a long line to get into something for, for half an hour. I uh -huh. want to be writing an article and right. I'm standing in line and moving. And so it's not easy to try and write like this. Um, you know, where you're going to drop it. It's not, it's not pleasant. Right. Uh, I mean, I've seen a couple of weird contraptions where people could wear a laptop around their waist. <laughs> But yeah. uh, over your shoulders, but it's it's not common. So yeah. the easiest thing ergonomically is would be to turn into a tablet, uh, tablet mode, but and start writing. But then I realize how bad my handwriting is and the handwriting recognition and it's, it's disaster. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, for me, I just haven't found a. I would get one of these and I would say, oh, wow, I'm really going to change the way I work. And like that would last about a minute. So yeah. same thing with when I got the Galaxy Note, Galaxy Note phone, one of my phones a few phones ago was a Galaxy Note. I was like, mm -hmm. Oh, great. Now I'm going to take notes everywhere. That lasted about a day. <laughs> so, so, you know, my, my most common, my most common usage. And again, I am fully aware that I am not normal. This is not something that probably anybody who's watching the show <laughs> does, but I do a lot of wiring diagrams, right? When we're going and doing something like like this weekend at, at uh, MetroCon, setting up the Hotto stuff, we drew out a wiring diagram, and that's real nice to be able to do on a tablet because you're way less likely to lose that than a, a clipboard, which always goes missing. <laughs> guaranteed to disappear so so yeah i do a lot of wiring diagrams and stuff on there too but again i know i'm fully aware that's not a normal use case for people but anyway that's that's one of my main use cases so i i like this thing though i've i've not 
I've not personally had a yoga. I know you know that John uh, had one uh, a number of generations ago. Uh, he really liked his. Um, I just never had that. I've I've kind of stuck to the removable screen uh, devices. I mean, but I love the removable screen concept. Uh, Microsoft hasn't really. I mean, I don't think they've really kept up with it though. Because what? How? The most recent Surface Book update was when? I think they're too long. A couple ago. processor generations behind, right? Yeah, there's a patent so, out there. They just they just uh, filed a patent this week. It looks like they're gonna have a a new device with a new hinge. Uh, I mean, I really, I really do like though what Microsoft has done, which you really haven't seen anywhere else. Uh, yeah. Right. I mean, Lenovo at one time had I'm trying to remember the name of it, a detachable like that, mm-hmm. and that lasted one generation and it was it was over. Yep. Because uh, normally you have normally you have either this bend back design, or you have a tablet. Normally you either have a tablet first design like the Surface, mm-hmm. like the Surface Pro or whatever, yep. or you have a laptop first design like this, and since most people are probably using this primarily as a laptop, it's okay to have a laptop first design. Absolutely. And yet, this one somehow Microsoft managed to think in both terms, and nobody has stuck with it but them. It it's just yeah the and that was one of the things that Microsoft said when they launched the Surface brand was that it was designed to inspire uh, new thinking in hardware design, and it did. Right, we've got all kinds of new hardware concepts that have come out since then. Companies try stuff; they they do weird things. Microsoft's got the weird Surface Studio, uh, you know. They've got all kinds of oddball things, and I think that's uh, been a, a a good thing because you know things like the yoga continue to to improve and uh, yeah, and get better because there are companies out there doing weird stuff. <laughs> So, uh, you said that this uh, that this review is coming soon. Yes, we'll be up this week on Tom'sHardware.com. Fantastic. Well, I look forward to reading it, and uh, I guess I look forward to seeing what we talk about next. This week's Extra Life on F5 Live is proudly powered by Loot Crate. Whether you're a gamer, anime fan, or pop culture aficionado, Loot Crate has got a crate for you. They curate a bundle of collectibles, apparel, and figures that you can't find anywhere else. Crates get delivered to your door. It is like getting an awesome birthday present from yourself every month. And you can learn more about the crates that are available by going to f5live.tv slash lootcrate. So, um, on our last episode, <laughs> we talked about some new stuff coming out of Valve, uh, particularly the, I think it was the last episode, the, the Steam Deck, which is different yes, than the, the Steam Deck, which is different than the Stream Deck, which is in my hand right now, which yes. also announced a new model at the same time. 
Uh, but this week, uh, Valve's public noise is different. Uh, last time it was a, an excitement about new hardware. This time it's uh, annoyance at what they consider a frivolous lawsuit. So uh, a couple of months ago, a suit was filed against uh, Valve, uh, particularly around the Steam store and its uh, policies on free codes. Now, you may not know, but publishers and developers gets, uh, get free codes from the store that they can use for things like fulfilling Kickstarter uh, agreements or uh, sending to reviewers uh, to be able to review the product so that we're not you know, paying for a game that we may end up trashing. Uh, uh, things like that. <laughs> but what some publishers have started doing is using those free codes to undermine the Steam store. Uh, they go out and they will sell the game for less than they do on Steam somewhere else, say the Humble Bundle, and they will then uh, use their free codes to fulfill those orders. Uh, obviously, Valve is losing money on that because they're they're paying for all the infrastructure for delivery and updates, and they're not getting a penny uh, for the sale. And so they put in policies that basically say, you can use the free codes for free codes, or you can use them elsewhere, but you can't try to actively undermine the Steam store. You just can't you know, massively underbid what your price is on Steam. Uh, and so Wolfire Games, which just so happens to be the creator of the Humble Bundle, uh, uh, filed a anti-competition suit claiming that this was an anti-competitive move aimed at, uh, I don't know, stifling publishers or, you know, whatever thing they're claiming. Valve's response this week, however, they've been quiet until this week where they said, we have no responsibility to give you free codes at all. We do it simply as a as a courtesy, other stores do not give you free codes. We could go to that policy too. We just wanted to continue to be helpful to our publishers. And uh, so this is a nonsense suit go away. <laughs> and I, I think it, I, personally, I think it makes sense, especially when you take into consideration that if it were 10 years ago, right, uh, Steam was the place to be. There was kind of no competition for them. But today, you've got the Epic Game Store, which has been eating their lunch pretty hard. You've got things like you know the, the Game Pass PC or Game Pass Ultimate. So through the Microsoft Store, you can get games. There are, there are other ways that indie, indie publishers can put a game out other than the Steam Store. So you can go somewhere else and deal with somebody else's policy. It's it's not ten years ago, right? I I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's, yeah, I mean, there's there's no reason why you have to have your game listed in Steam. Mm -hmm. So, and this is it, it's yeah, this is ludicrous because they're get they're they're violating a policy that is 
like they're obviously getting away with something, right? Uh, my guess is that a lot of these keys end up on key sites like Kingwin uh, or cdkeys.com. And yeah. And so it's, you know, gray market or whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah, you listen, if you're doing gray market stuff, you can't, you can't uh, sue to complain about that, right? I mean, exactly. It, it, it makes it makes perfect sense to me right yeah. i mean the the publisher is well more than welcome to it's not like you can't install this game if you don't have steam i mean they could start their own distribution uh method of distribution if they really wanted to I mean, sure it's what valve did well, you know i mean it's not you know i'm sure it's a significant investment to do it right but I don't know. I guess it dep- it it depends, but like, well, they there's no there's no reason why they have to use Valve. So the fact that Valve is giving them free keys, like, good, you know, like there's a, there's a use useful use case in that. Like, you know, you want to give them out to to people that you want to test the game, sure. and it would seem a little bit ludicrous uh, and expensive for, you know, I'm coming out with a game and I want to send it to 50 reviewers. And now I have to buy it from, I have to buy my own game right. to send to them. Right. Right. So, you know, I think within reason, Steam is, is doing, Valve is doing the right thing, giving these companies a certain number of free codes that they because they want to probably give out some free copies of the game but they should absolutely not be allowed to sell them yeah that's that's a complete violation of the purpose of them yeah and i would really worry that at some point that this causes uh this causes valve to cut back the amount of free codes that they give right and that could you know I tell them, sorry, we don't do a lot of game reviews. I mean, periodically we will do one. And periodically we also will do, a, a lot of times we also will do, for a major game, we'll do performance reviews. And so right. companies will send us a code or two mm-hmm. and uh, that we use for those purposes. And I would really, um, be, it would really, so like I, I take this a little bit personally because if they if they put valve in a bad if they put valve in a bad position and valve says okay fine we're just not going to give you that many of these coats mm-hmm. or we're not going to give you any of these coats yeah or we're, we're, we're going to limit the they, number because from what i can tell right now there doesn't seem to be a limit oh okay well listen they have to put a limit i guess because how do they know that this isn't happening right right um I mean, I guess the Humble Bundle one was pretty flagrant because they actually called attention to themselves. Right. But a smaller developer could probably unload a few thousand of these. Sure. You know, if they could have thousands, could unload a few thousand of these codes on on some CD sites um, and make a few bucks that way. Right. But um, essentially sell it for 
you know, 5% more than what their cut is from the Steam store, they make more money. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Uh, so I, I really hope that this does not deter Steam because that would be bad, uh, bad for journalists. For sure. Uh, which ultimately would be bad for, uh, bad for the consumers because they don't get to re- read about it from as many right. people or get exactly. the information. So, you know, these folks are are ruining it for everyone. <laughs> so right, exactly. And that's that's my concern, right? Because the people, the publications that are going to get, if if we look at it strictly from a from a reviewer standpoint, the publications that are going to get hurt are, you know, you guys, right? Because if we're only looking at you know a hundred keys, well, you know. GameSpot is probably going to get the keys first. Yeah, I mean, we are we are not as big of a game reviewer site exactly. as you know, as PC Gamer, which is our right. sister site or, or whatever. So yeah, sometimes you know we have to really you know ask, hey, you know, can we get this key? And it's not like, look, we're not going around asking for the keys of everything. We're not right. trying to get free games to play. Like you know, right. it's just that when a major game comes out, we want to have jared our our graphics card editor go and test it and by the way it's not just a matter of money because it's not just like oh yeah so we could spend 60 dollars and buy this game and maybe sure. fork over 60 bucks these are codes that you're getting usually getting before the game Ahead comes of time. out so no amount of money is going to solve that problem right exactly so you can't have stuff ready for the end of an embargo uh because you can't buy it until after it's out. Yeah, and then you know, right? You know, you you said getting to see more game reviews. Yeah, I mean, it's nice to see, it's nice to see you know the professional reviewers. You know, PC Gamer, for example. It's nice to see what they have to say, but I also like to see what Alante has to say, right? I <laughs> I like to see what what Joe on our team has to say. Because, you know, they they take a very I'm a gamer, not yeah. a reviewer approach to the games. Yeah. And yeah. so yeah. You know, there'd be no way for us to get codes anymore. Yeah, exactly. So all I have to so yeah, this is uh, I'm glad Valve I hope Valve prevails in this, uh, because this is ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, and I hope it doesn't uh, result in too much of a crackdown but i can see that it probably they there's a good chance that they will crack down because someone has called their attention called public attention to the fact that they're that they're ripping that they're ripping valve off like that's you know i mean that's like it almost sounds like one of those like mafia or drug kingpin movies where somebody's like don't don't ever steal the, the the big like don of it. Don't don't ever steal from me. And then you have someone jumping up, going, "Hey, I'm stealing from you." I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> that's like don't like they're the the humble bundle people are like they're calling attention to it. So now I think they're gonna have to respond. Probably, hopefully, whatever it is will change. be. Hopefully, whatever it will be will be. Uh, a reasonable response hopefully they will prevail on this one because for sure this is 
that the current situation seems to be good for just about everybody except the people who are trying to scam uh, Valve out of money. And I don't particularly care about people that are trying to <laughs> scam the system. Uh, it's not so, a very humble bundle. Exactly. So, I don't know. It all seems pretty cut and dry to me. Um, and again, it's hard to say that a move is anti-competitive when there are several other opportunities, including the site that you represent <laughs> as, as one of the competitors. So, I don't know. Seems pretty cut and dry to me, uh, but we will definitely keep an eye on it as this goes on. This week's news from the tubes and F5 Live is probably powered by Malwarebytes. Whether you use a PC, a Mac, or a mobile device, Malwarebyte Premium is the company's strongest protection ever. It fights threats that traditional antivirus software can't stop, and it actively blocks threats like worms, rogues, dialers, trojans, and a whole lot more. You can use your computer and mobile devices with confidence and peace of mind and to learn more about the software and to get a special price, you can go to f5live.tv slash Malwarebytes. The fact that they have a local office here in Clearwater uh, always makes me happy. Anyway, that's not part of the topic. Uh, we uh, just talked about a legal situation. Let's talk about another one. Uh, GDPR went into official enforcement effect in 2018, and uh, since then, there have been a number of fines. Most of them, in fact, almost exclusively, uh, the fines have been around data breaches. Uh, this week's fine, however, is not. Uh, it is the largest ever GDPR fine. It is the equivalent of $888 million, which is a fun number, um, and it is against Amazon for the way they handle and process uh, consumer data. Now, not a whole lot of information about what came out of this uh, was released on the topic. There's some, um, but the complaint that started all this came from an organization whose name I'm not going to try and pronounce because it's not in English, um, but... <laughs> their consumer advocacy advocacy group who has on a number of occasions brought attention to uh, concerns and it's concerns that we've talked about uh, in the past um, about Amazon and the fact that they collect a lot of user data. They're not transparent about what they're collecting, what they're doing with it. And that um, on several occasions, it has appeared that they have used that data uh, to further their own, uh, presence in their marketplace over uh, the, the presence and performance of theoretical competitors. So um, if you combine all of that together, it would suggest that the, uh, the CNPD, which is uh, the regulatory body in Luxembourg, which is where Amazon's European headquarters are, um, reviewed the complaint and agreed because $888 million is a lot of money. I mean, to Amazon, it's a little bit of pocket change, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Even for a company that large, almost $900 million is not 
just a slap on the wrist. That's a that's a big chunk of change. So it must be connected with something provable. Yep. Uh, I mean, that that is enough of a fine for them to actually consider doing something different. And that's an interesting way of looking at it. And, and that's kind of the because point, a million right? dollars is a couple, a few million dollars is probably not enough for Amazon to change a business practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because at that it's point, kind of, it it literally is just a slap on the wrist. It's they're like, oh, okay, well that's that's the the amount we spent, you know, last month on changing light bulbs in the offices. That's whatever. <laughs> right. Right. So exactly. So they, so it, when you think about it that way, like that's, you know, if it's material to the company, then they're going to change their practice. If it is not material, then they are not going to. So it has to be material. Yep. It doesn't matter that like $10 million would be really material to me. Like right. $10 million would be very happy, but like, you know, take $10 million away from Amazon. It's meaningless. Right. So $888 million, like that's, you know, that's real money that matters. So that's going to, that's going to show up on a P and L report. Right. So, (laughs) and, and presumably this isn't a one-time thing. If they keep doing it, they keep getting fine. Right. So, um, up to 4% of global revenue, by the way, the, the, the maximum fine can be up to 4% of global revenue. What's and not profit, about, but revenue. Revenue. What's interesting to me about that is, I mean, I, I honestly don't know what legal, you know, how how this works. But like, how do they find out? I mean, I guess Amazon's a public company, so they could just read their public reports to find out what, you know, what their global revenue is. But. Uh-huh. I don't know. What if a company wasn't public and didn't publish their revenue? Are they going to say, hey, you better tell us your revenue so we know how much to find you. Um, <laughs> so I I don't know. It's interesting. And then they're finding them based on revenue that they didn't necessarily make in the jurisdiction, right? Because they're not saying 4% of the revenue that you made in the EU it's 4% of the revenue you made everywhere, which is, mm-hmm. eh, well, whatever. Look, the point is that they're finding them enough money to make it them change their practice. That That is the point, Yeah. right? I really can't feel any particular sympathy for Amazon. I don't know what, what it was that they were caught doing, though. So it's hard to say. Uh, uh, you know, uh, it's one of my but, things about uh, the way the EU works that makes me a little uncomfortable. Is their their own lack of transparency on stuff? It's, yeah, I mean, it, yeah, no, I mean there are definitely things that Amazon has done that you know there's a lot there's a lot there that you can. You know, I mean, I I like Amazon. I use it. I buy stuff sure. from it. Gonna, all the time. Our listeners are going to hear about it in a second. <laughs> all the time. You know, prob- 
it, it's scary, especially scary how many times I'm just buying more stuff from Amazon. You know, the level of convenience just is, is life changing. Thursday night, I order I order rainbow filament for my printer, and Saturday morning, it's there on my front front doorstep. Uh huh. And now, and now, while we're while we're recording, this gnome comes out. So, anyway, <laughs> the um. I love so, that. anyway, the point is, there's a lot of Amazon does a lot of things that uh, that draw the attention of regulators mm-hmm. when it comes to privacy. Um, I would really like to know what specific type of customer data we're talking about here. Are we talking about Alexa? Are we talking about like purchase history? I think that's what it is. Amazon I think has, it's, if I, if I understand what this group, law, whatever, uh, French privacy group. I'm not going to try and pronounce their name, but um, their concerns seem to, and obviously I'm reading translations of French, which is always going to be a little off and weird. But from what from what I gathered from the initial complaint and from their website, um, their concerns surround uh, usually surround um, like Amazon processing user browsing and search and purchase history so that they can enhance their own product mix at the expense of other sellers on the site. So at the well, ex- spe- Amazon basics at the expense of, you know, uh, speaking of that, I charge did speaking of that, did we ever, did we ever talk about on a previous episode, what happened with Aki and Rav power? We've talked about it a little. I don't know if we ever talked about it officially on the show. It might have been in the pre-show. So, and, and that's uh, that's a fascinating situation, right? And that might yes. lead into this topic. Yes. So, audience, if you didn't, if you're not up on what happened, this is this is quite a big deal. So, a several vendors. This happened, I think the beginning of June, end of May timeframe. Yeah, that sounds about uh, right. They, Amazon, without really saying why, although there's some heavy rumors as to why, kicked, uh, some, kicked a couple of really major charging vendors off. People who make things like this, you know, mm-hmm. alternative phone and laptop chargers. Uh, two really, really good brands with stuff I've reviewed, Aki and, and Rav Power. And these companies, like probably 99% of their sales were through Amazon, or if not 100%. So they basically killed these two businesses. Although Aki still has a website now and they're selling things through it, but I don't know how they're going to uh, survive. Right. The, the, and Amazon is a direct competitor with these brands. They right. make chargers. Um, and the alleged reason why they were kicked off is they said that they were manipulating uh, users to post positive user reviews. Mm-hmm. All I can say to that is that I have worked with both of those companies as a professional reviewer, and they never tried to, you know, 
drive me to give them a positive review. You know, uh, they were nothing but polite, sent me the stuff, it answered any questions I had, and made overall fantastic charging products, which yeah. I tested, and some of which I still, you know, I bought it is Aki, um, you know, 12 outlet, 12 mm-hmm. outlet, you know, um, power strip. And it's like the best power strip I've ever owned by far. And so anyway, needless not to go off on that tangent. And, but... and if, if their reasoning, if, which Amazon has kind of confirmed was that it was over uh, review stuffing. If... That's true. Amazon, you've got a huge undertaking because I cannot tell you how many products are sitting in this room right now that came with little cards in them that said you'd get $10 off your next purchase if you put a positive review on Amazon. Right, right, exactly. So it is such a common process that... Yes, it's very common. So... They'd lose they all their products. So, right. So why are you picking on these two companies? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I, I think it's very, and now it's all like no name. There's some Amazon basic stuff. There's mm-hmm. Anchor. Uh, and then there's all these like no name brands that are um, out there for chargers. So they basically ruin the charger industry yeah. you know, for, for, for now. And I thought maybe they would like, you know, bring, let these companies come back eventually. Like, okay, we slap, gave you a really big slap and, you know, we put you in jail for like a month or two. Right. And now you can come back and, and don't do it again. Uh, but they're still gone. And, yeah. It's um, been, and it's been yeah. super quiet time. <laughs> so it, it's, it's really, um, it's, that's, it's very sad. Uh, and like, that's something that I can see people being upset about because mm-hmm. they're not transparent about this and then they're using, but I don't know if they needed to use an individual user's data to, to, to know that. Right. All they would need to know is, oh, people are buying these chargers, which they obviously know how many people are buying products that are sold through Amazon. Right. Hey, people are buying these chargers. Great. We'll make our own. Um, and, and. And that it that is an issue, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that is a serious issue when they are trying to compete with um, when they are trying to compete with other with the brands that are using their marketplace. And Amazon has such a big uh, footprint that it is difficult to to it is difficult not to buy. You know, it is difficult to run right. your business if you're not selling through Amazon. Yeah. Right? What's what's the alternative? perhaps new egg but they're not really known for chargers i'm sure the level of traffic for that is much lower sure ebay maybe you know i mean but it's not i mean you know possibly through the walmart i would say possibly through, through the walmart third party marketplace maybe yeah it's just that amazon is such, so i get why people would be concerned about that but on, on an individual level I don't know that then Amazon knowing that I bought some chargers matters, right? And and, and right. if they use it, that data to show me ads everywhere I go saying buy a charger, 
Yeah, it that doesn't really bother be me worse. either. It could yeah. really be worse. I think. You know, it could I be... think the concern. I think the concern comes when, uh, and and you know there have been a couple of regulators that have talked about this, right? Uh, talked about the idea of, and I think we talked about it on the show at one point. Um, the the idea of a retailer not competing, like a like a a mall not competing with its stores. Uh, which would preclude any white label product <laughs> at yeah, the grocery I mean, store, and we you know we had that conversation yeah. about what a terrible idea that would be, but that there are problems that are posed by that because you know Amazon knows it's, more about what's you know what products are selling to make a decision on product mix than any of the other people that are selling, just like. Publix or Kroger knows more about what products are selling in their stores to know what products to white label. I was in a store today, and uh, uh, Alante and I couldn't believe how many new white labels we saw on products. They had a white label Doritos. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, look, it's it's a little bit. Um, different because i think a lot of times in, the, in white label groceries they are getting the same company uh-huh. the white label doritos might actually be made by dorito by dorito yeah right um so they're not necessarily putting the competition out of business right uh anyway yeah it it is it is very problematic and you i guess there's always i guess the question is where's the power dynamic right, right. like the power dynamic of I, I really don't know a lot about it, but you know, the power dynamic of like Publix or Kroger or whatever, um, with their white label, maybe I'll you know, you're still dealing with some very large companies when you deal with food sellers, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, is it uh so you know, if your cereal is made by is actually made by Kellogg's behind the scenes, like right. you know, whatever, but but like you can, if you're Amazon, I don't know how, you know, they probably, you know, go straight to manufacturers and, you know, if it's an electronic thing, they're probably going straight to, you know, find some of the manufacturer for them in, in China or something like that. So, yeah, you know, like they are, they have a lot of power to take a smaller vendor and put them, put them out of business. But I don't right. see how my individual data is going to, going to help them. Well, it may not be individual data. It might be uh, trends that only they have access to to then hurt the other sellers on the marketplace, which is what what yeah. this organization talks about. is not necessarily that they're looking at individual sales data, but that they have access to all the trend lines and that they can then hurt their competition in their marketplace by, by going after them, which might be what happened in this particular case and might be what yeah. happened here. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what comes out of this. Like you said, it's a ton of money, uh, even for uh, even for a company whose who's, uh, annual revenue is $197 billion. Um, just in case you're curious, this works out to just about uh, four-tenths of a percent instead of four percent. Uh, of their annual revenue, but it's still, uh, it's still a ton of money, uh, especially when you take profit margin into effect. So, whatever this was about, 
uh, change will probably come of it. Although Amazon has vowed, as you would expect, to fight this. And tonight's award for irony goes to DRM not included is proudly powered by Amazon <laughs> Prime. <laughs> In addition to your free shipping, you get a whole lot more, including free music with Amazon Prime Music, free TV, movies, and documentaries with Amazon Prime Video, free games, and a free Twitch subscription every month with Amazon Prime Gaming, and a whole lot more. To learn more uh, about some of these features, to get quick links to them, uh, and a 30-day free trial if you're not currently a subscriber, go to f5live.tv slash Prime. I thought you would appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> um, so, one of the things that we've talked about since the beginning of lockdowns has been the entertainment industry and the interesting response to uh, everything that's happened. Um, one of the things that we have noted uh, that has been a big change for the industry, in particular theaters, has been this hybrid release, releasing in theaters and on streaming at the same time. This two years ago would have been absolutely unheard of. It would have nobody would have even considered it, <laughs> and yet here we are. Um, but one of the problems, there have been a number of problems. Obviously, the theaters aren't, haven't been particularly happy with it. And at one point, AMC said they'd never air uh, another Universal film again uh, until they came to an agreement. Um, and that's probably what will happen here uh, because one of the things that has been left out has been actual contracts with the actors. Um, for those who are not have not been in the industry or follow the industry, most actors get paid based on theatrical success. They get a base pay, and then, but the majority of their possible pay comes from theatrical success. And obviously that's undermined by a hybrid theater uh, release if the streaming service or the, the publisher doesn't take uh, additional streaming revenue into account. That's what's going on here. Scarlett Johansson has sued Disney over... Uh, breach of contract for Black Widow. Um, uh, I think it was uh, Wall Street Journal estimated that her her uh, personal losses on the hybrid release could be as high as $50 million, uh, which is obviously a ton of money. We just talked about $888 million being a ton to a, a huge corporation. 50 is a ton to an individual. Um, and so she has sued... My guess is what she's hoping is because Disney charges an additional $30 for uh, the hybrid release on Disney Plus, she just wants that revenue to be counted um, for, for so theater it's not sales. Now? Which, no, it's not. That's, that's wrong. That's right. I mean, <laughs> far be it for me, though, to feel too bad for an, for an actor or, or actress who not getting all their points on the back end or, or whatever. But I mean, that's when you say she's losing $50 million, let's be clear. It means that she, that's $50 million. She believes that she should be earning 50 million more dollars than she is already earning from it. In fairness, the wall street journal believes that uh, she has not released an estimated number. Okay. Right. But what I mean is it's not, 
a loss, like they took money right. out of her bank account. She did not have to finance the movie. Right. She is she surely made millions of dollars. Now, for folks who aren't familiar, actors and actresses get a lot of points on the uh, particularly if they're the star of a, of a major motion picture like this, they get a lot of points in the back end, which means percentage of the revenue, mm-hmm. uh, or is it percentage of the revenue or percentage of the profit? I'm not sure. What, I think it's. They, I think it's. I think it's percentage share. of the take. I think percentage it's of percentage of the, so, the box office take. Right. So, and and that that is very meaningful uh, mm-hmm. to a lot of a lot of people. Uh, one thing I ended up doing the last two weeks is watching, uh, is watching like every episode of the movies that made us on on Netflix, okay. which is a a really fantastic uh, documentary show about different the making of different movies, and they're constantly talking about how such and such person to make the budget, such and such person said, okay, you don't have to pay me mm-hmm. that much of a salary. Just, just give me more points on the back end. Yeah, right. Um, and that so, was actually yeah, that was actually I mean, part of the agreement for uh, Ben Affleck to be in um, uh, Jersey Girl uh, because nobody wanted to finance it. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Smith actually Probably talks point. about Can that. Get... That's funny. He gets his negative points. Uh, you know, but it's also interesting who who gets them because I saw the the documentary about the the movie Dirty Dancing, and they were talking about how like some of the producers got no points, so mm-hmm. they ended up making like nothing, uh, and but the like the writer or whatever got a lot of points, and so even today, even today with I guess all the revenue that it continues to make from I don't know streaming or video sales or whatever. Um, they they're still getting getting paid like millions of dollars a year for impressive for a movie that came out 30 something years ago but that's what they say anyway so yeah i i I get it she should i'm surprised that she's not getting it the, the points on the back end for the the streaming revenue but here's another thing that you didn't bring up which is that the movie overall has disappointing revenue after mm-hmm. the first week. And many people in the industry feel like Disney shouldn't have done the $30 streaming, that they hurt, um, they hurt appetite for it in the theater by, by putting it on the streaming. And so, Mm -hmm. um, and so apparently they, they think that both were hurt. Like, Oh, if you had, not done this and then a few weeks later made it available for regular rental you would have made money from that yeah you had not um so i don't know it's 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 hard to say what would have happened but there's legit concerns in hollywood about what these streaming deals do this is a case where there actually is revenue to be recovered though because they charge people thirty dollars a pop Right. It's not Whereas, like HBO Max. Right. How do you, how does LeBron James recover, um, <laughs> you know, recover all that Space Jam, Space Jam new legacy money? Um, I'll, I'll give him the because, 16 bucks he's owed personally. It'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
My son, by the way, loved that movie. I somewhat enjoyed it, and it is a horrible movie. Um, <laughs> uh, that's what I've heard in general. <laughs> it is it is a horrible movie, but when you're a parent, if your kid watches it and loves it, and they haven't learned any bad words by the end, you're like, this is a good movie. <laughs> when? Um, so, when? So, it's in that respect, it's a good movie. But anyway, the... Uh, right, so all these streaming things, like I was reading something, this this would concern, like, so why should you, if you're not in Hollywood, care about this? Because it might affect the movies that you're that come out. Right. The for it example, might affect, one thing it I might was, affect the caliber of people that decide to be in movies. Uh, I mean, what what else? Do you, do you really think that someone like someone who's a professional actor or actress is making millions of dollars a year is going to be millions is going to say like, well, I didn't make 50 million, so I'm retiring. No, I, but they, they yeah. might go for, for a stronger upfront contract. If they yeah. don't trust I mean, the I, backside. I understand. I actually was reading something about this the other day and that's exactly what's going on is mm-hmm. that a lot of things they have a, I think Disney has a point system now where for things that are on streaming where like for streaming only things like yeah. uh, you know falcon and winter soldier or whatever sure. and but the points are based on things that i don't think are very transparent like they're based on if it gets an award if it gets how many views it gets which is not public right uh, i mean the the revenue for movies is public um which is interesting, right? Because not every not every product has public revenue figures like movies do, right? Like, right. I mean, ask me how much. Ask me how much money Lenovo, how many of these Lenovo is sold, or, you know, right. We'll never know. Right. right? Exactly. I mean, if it's a public company, we might know their overall revenue, but we right. would probably or how a division did. Right. We would not get it. That would be considered a trade secret, probably, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which we were just talking about. It's the kind of trade secret Amazon would know because they know how everything sells. But exactly, um, if it's something that's sold through Amazon. But, but the, but here everybody knows how much a movie makes. For streaming things, it's it's much more opaque mm-hmm. what a success metric would be. It's also not really clear if there's any direct money ever made from. Like, I don't. I'm, I'm, as a fan, I'm very grateful that they keep putting free extra. I wouldn't say free because we're paying for it. They're putting stuff on these services. But on the other hand, I don't know if they didn't have it if I would unsubscribe, right? right. So they're getting my money anyway, right? Like, I mean, eventually I probably would unsubscribe from HBO Max if, the, if there was nothing on, if there wasn't a lot of stuff on there I wanted to watch. There's so much stuff on Netflix that I would probably, that you just, they didn't need to create everything that they've created, right? right? And Prime, Amazon Prime, you're getting to watch videos when you probably would have already bought Prime just for the shipping. Right. Right? So so, so it's interesting, like, how do you, if you're Amazon or you're Netflix or you're Disney+, Plus, yep. how do you actually determine monetary value of having a, having a, movie or a show on your service if people aren't paying for it specifically right yeah i 
people watching it is not necessarily an indicator of revenue because right. so what they they, right. they if they didn't watch it I would they have unsubscribed they watch it, i still get their their money right exactly yeah. would they have unsubscribed if they pick, didn't watch it that's the only metric right and we don't and and there's no it's really hard to know that right I mean, Whereas it's really if, easy to know were, how many people went to a movie theater. Yes. So, so I get that it's it's really hard for. So I think a lot of these things, they do have to pay people more upfront. But as a consumer, I also be worried because they cannot possibly be making as much money on this stuff. So the mm-hmm. the quality of the of the I mean, it's amazing the quality that it's gone into shows like Loki and Falcon and Winter Soldier, um, yeah. right? But Stranger at things. Some point, at some point, the bubbles gotta of this entertainment's gotta burst. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. Like I would be really, for example, I'm really worried about Dune. Now my understanding is that I think Dune may actually have been pulled from HBO Max, right? I think mm-hmm. they is is that isn't that the latest that they're, yes. they're going to do an exclusively theatrical release? Yeah. And I uh, I read somebody's commentary where they said that it's it's uh for the for the movie for the for the story uh having a, a theater full of people in masks is actually kind of the ideal situation <laughs> i mean the reason the reason why if you care at all about seeing dune you should care about that is that there this movie is only part one of two right mm-hmm. they only filmed half the book did you know that yeah so so if you want to see the whole dune book adapted you got to root for this movie to make some money, right? Because I imagine that Warner Brothers would probably say, like, "Oh, this didn't make enough money. We're not paying for you to film the second one." <laughs> Narnia. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I definitely. They made like I three definitely or four just Narnias, didn't they? Yeah, but they they definitely didn't finish it out. They definitely gave up before they were done. Because <laughs> by the yeah, I mean there've been a bunch there've been a bunch of series like that where they. Yeah had intentions and then they gave up of doing a whole bunch and gave up before they were done. So yeah, you know, if you, if you are to care about being able to see that stuff, then you probably want it to make some money. Right. Right. I mean, the reason that we get to keep seeing all these MCU movies is they keep making money. Right. If it wasn't making money, they wouldn't, they wouldn't keep making them. They certainly wouldn't have the intense release schedule that they've got right now. Every time you blink your eyes, right. there's another MCU title coming out. So, so yeah. I mean, now, on the other hand, just to throw another tiny wrinkle into this conversation, um, I mean, what Disney said here is a little bit, you know, playing at the heartstrings, right? They said the lawsuit is sad and distressing, and it's callous disregard for the horrific and prolonged global effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. Oh, come on. Right. Like, like, if, that doesn't mean you shouldn't pay her. If this was HBO Max, that response might be different. But they charged an extra $30 to watch right. this movie. This isn't, this isn't like a free bonus. This isn't Boss Baby on Peacock, right? Where it just showed up because it did. This this was an extra purchase. Treat it right. as a theater ticket. Right. right. 
That's that's come on. That's yeah. That's that's bogus. Also, yeah. if that were the case, they're talking out of both sides of their mouth because if they were really worried about people getting COVID at the theater, then they wouldn't have released it to the theater at all. At all. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So they're not worried about people going to the theater. And but you know what? I can't blame people for being worried about going to the theater. Like, we are now. Uh, sure. I mean, this is happening at the backdrop of, although. Although when Black Widow came out, we were actually at a low point. But the last two or three weeks, right, there's a huge surge with Delta, a Delta variant. So there's a strong possibility that this will have a very negative effect on theaters at a time when people were hoping, the theater industry was hoping people were going to come back, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know if... Um, I don't know if there's a, you know, if people, I mean, Disney may be right that a lot of, in in one sense, that a lot of people are wanting to not go to the theater. And that may be why it, that may be the ultimate reason it, it performed poorly in the theater. But what do you, but, you know, you gotta, what this is about is this lawsuit's about a contract. Yes. That's what it is. Exactly. There was, they, a, there was a contract they, in place, the meeting of the minds, involved certain requirements and that involved a wide theatrical solo theatrical release when those changed the contract needed to be revisited it wasn't and so here we are that's i mean that's the crux of it there's there's not a whole lot more to it yes there's lots of stuff on the fringe of it but at the core of this there was an agreement. The agreement was changed underneath without a new meeting <laughs> happening. So, yeah, it'll be it'll be yeah. interesting. And she's not the only one. Um, uh, Cruella um, is looking at a similar lawsuit. I think it's Cruella. Um, this this will not be the last time we hear something like this. The industry needs to figure out what streaming looks like going forward to be able to to handle this stuff, and it's as simple as that. Well, that is our show. Thank you to those of you who joined us live. Uh, we always appreciate it. Uh, interesting that as I'm saying that, one of our live channels just turned back on because we did disappear for a little while. Uh, <laughs> That's pretty funny. Um, But anyway, thank you uh, for our live viewers who joined us. We always appreciate it if you didn't join us live and would like to in the future. uh, Barring weird technical difficulties where we disappear for seven minutes, uh, you can go on Sunday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern to f5live.tv slash join us um, and uh, chat with us during the show. Give us your feedback. We always love that. Uh, if you can't do that, that is okay. PlugHitsLive.com slash subscribe has all of our shows, uh, including uh, F5 Live and The Pilch Point, and uh, you can find all of our podcatchers that we're on and all of that stuff. Quick links, because that's what it's about, making this easy to watch and listen. Um, I believe that next week is a normal week for us. Um, so we will be back like normal next Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And with that, on behalf of the staff that's not here, I'm Scott. I'm Avery. And we will see you back uh, next time. Ciao.